Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. So I'm going to just touch on a couple of little things and then get right to the meat of the TV news this week. So first of all, William Shatner went to space. Cool. Great. I don't give a shit. He's an asshole on Twitter. I don't care. But Captain Kirk was actually in space and everyone lost their minds about it for 12 hours. Great. Um, Also, AMC ordered another Walking Dead series. They have The Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, The World Beyond. And now they're going to be making Tales of the Walking Dead, which is like an episodic anthology series. Kind of like what American Horror Stories was or like The Twilight Zone. Um, all kind of set in the land of zombies and shit. (laughs) So that should be coming sometime within the next year or so. Um, I would imagine maybe this time next year, since World Beyond was designed to be two seasons, and the second season is currently airing now, I believe. Um, So this will probably replace the World Beyond sometime next year, I would imagine. Okay, now, the story of the week that we have all been reading, I'm sure, about on social media And that has been reported all over the regular news even. And okay, so Netflix released a new special um, the week before last by Dave Chappelle, who I'm going to be totally honest right now. I don't know why he's still famous. Like I know when I was younger, he had the Chappelle show on Comedy Central, which was like kind of an... PG-13 R-rated kind of like Mad TV or SNL where it was like a sketch show. And I know that that was real popular. Like, I'm Rick James, bitch. Like, I remember that. And that's about it, actually. That's what I remember. (laughs) The Chappelle show. I never watched it, really. I just, I was aware of it at the time because everyone was collectively obsessed. But I feel like that was when I was in like high school. And I graduated high school over 15 years ago. So I don't, I don't really know how and why Dave Chappelle is still as popular as he is, but he is. He's still very popular on Netflix. And Netflix made him like millions and millions of dollars or paid him millions and millions of dollars rather to make new stand-up specials. And the last in his contract with Netflix was The Closer, which was this last weekend. The one that everyone's talking about. Now, Dave Chappelle, I believe is like his stand-up is a persona like that's supposedly not really him it's as if he's like playing an incendiary character and i don't know if that's fact or if that's his way of kind of skirting a lot of the controversy that has followed him because he's been um like not always funny number one (laughs) and not always quite an ally to the lgbtq plus community in his stand-up um, dead named Caitlyn Jenner in the last one and loves to talk about trans people's genitals, which is just, which I just in general find very strange. Like I have never understood the obsession that we all collectively socially have with associating trans people with their genitals. Like it's it's getting it's falling out of favor thankfully but until very recently it was like the question that you would ask if someone was trans you would say well do what do you have a penis or a vagina are you post op like we used to refer to trans people as pre and post op publicly which is just fucking weird like every time you meet someone Do you ask what genitals they have? It's so fucking weird. Like, if someone presents as male, you assume they're male. If someone gives you a male name and presents as male, unless they tell you otherwise, we assume that they are male. Correct? And, like, maybe that's not a great thing to be doing. Maybe we shouldn't be assuming these things. But we don't then ask them, like, what's between your legs? Like... If someone, if someone says my pronouns are he, him, you don't say, oh, okay, so you have a dick. If someone says my pronouns are she, her, you don't say, oh, nice to meet you. Um, how, What's your vagina look like? It's just so strange to associate trans people with their genitals. But that's what TERFs do. It's what 
hateful people do. It's what transphobic people do. And it's what Dave Chappelle does often. And he did it again in this most recent special for Netflix, again called The Closer. And it sparked a lot of backlash because he didn't just like... He didn't just dead name someone. He didn't just go like the lazy route of when there is a trans person, the laziest thing you can do to make fun of them is to dead name them or misgender them. It is beyond, it's not even low hanging fruit. It is fruit that has fallen off the tree and is rotting on the ground. Like it is beyond lazy. It's not clever, but like, especially straight men think that that is like the funniest shit that you can do that that's like an own right like oh you got her she's still got a dick that's a man like that is not it's not clever and also like if you think that's the first time that a trans person has heard that you are very um sorely mistaken because i'm sure that they have (laughs) because again everyone who wants to like own a trans person does that So it's just stupid. It's stupid. Um, And he does shit like that. And then, okay, so in this special, he said, um, I'm team turf. They canceled JK Rowling. Effectually, she said gender was fact. The trans community got mad as shit. They started calling her a turf. I'm team turf. So... This is maybe the least actually offensive thing that he says in this special. He he then says, gender is a fact. Okay, here's actually the full quote. I just found it. Gender is a fact. Every human being in this room, every human being on Earth had to pass through the legs of a woman to be on Earth. That is a fact. Sidebar, no the fuck it is not. We are not stupid. I was born via C-section. I never passed through a vagina. Like, are you fucking stupid? Anyway. Now, I am not saying that to say trans women aren't women. I am just saying that those pussies that they got, you know what I mean? I'm not saying it's not pussy, but it's beyond pussy or impossible pussy. It tastes like pussy, but that's not quite what it is, is it? That's not blood, that's beet juice. So, first of all, like that's not funny, like at all. That's it's disgusting. It's completely untrue. Like when you say gender is a fact, and it is a fact that everyone on Earth had to pass through a vagina, and it's literally not a fact that everyone on Earth passed through a vagina. Like I don't understand if he was if he made that distinction to be like what I'm about to say is not true. Like if that's part of the whole stupid shtick and character persona thing. But regardless, like, this is fucking gross. And it's not funny. Like, it is not funny to refer to a trans woman's vagina as, like, fake meat. Like, that... Ew. Like, do you say to a woman with breast implants, you have beyond tits, you got impossible tits, look like tits, taste like tits, but it's not tits. Like, it's stupid. It's so stupid and like this is what Chappelle does is that he he makes people mad but like the difference here is that when you say things like gender is fact and I'm a turf you are giving power to very dangerous ideals And then the way that he backs all of this up is by saying that, oh, he had a trans friend who loved his jokes and who stuck up for him. And um, it was a trans woman who I know a while ago was like on um, Twitter defending Chappelle and I forget their name, but regardless, like also love the fact that she was or they were, I'm not going to be trying to be respectful. They were friends with Chappelle and were like pointed out by Chappelle and like were recognized by Chappelle and um, like backed up what Chappelle was saying that like he should be able to say what he wants. It's funny to me, which like, first of all, is a lazy argument. Like what's offensive to one person is not always offensive to all. 
what is acceptable to one person is not always acceptable to all. And we have to be respectful of that. Like you can't hold up one trans person and be like, well, this trans person says, okay, so it's all trans people need to be okay with it. Like, no, fuck off. That's why like during the election last year, when Pete Buttigieg was running for president and then was elected to secretary, everyone's like, but what about Richard, whatever the fuck his name is, or that Trump appointed. And it's like, he's gay, but they don't want to claim him because he's an asshole. It's like, well, right. Like, just because this one gay person is a trash gay person doesn't mean we're all trash people. Same thing here. And then on top of that, this person, this trans person who was friends with Chappelle, died in 2019 by suicide. Which, like, just goes to show that what Chappelle is saying is dangerous because trans people are already much more likely to die by suicide than non-trans people. And that's how they died, was by suicide. And I'm sorry to say that the rhetoric that Dave Chappelle ascribes to and is eschewing likely did not not play a part. Allegedly, potentially, was part of this person's suicide because I'm sure it wasn't directly related. But the point being that, like, hatred towards trans people... And the psychological breakdown of tr a lot of trans people comes from transphobia, which Chappelle is igniting. And that is fucked up. Like, how many trans... There have been dozens of murders of trans people, in particular, mostly and especially trans women of color, in the U.S. this year. And they're usually horrifically violent. And it's because of shit like what Dave Chappelle says that this happens. Because we're normalizing transphobia. We're normalizing trans-exclusionary feminist radical ideology. And now the other part of the story is that it's been having an effect at Netflix in that quite a few people who work at Netflix have are now publicly speaking out against them. So the showrunner of Dear White People, Jacqueline Moore, is a trans woman. And she was featured on Netflix's um, queer LGBTQ platform most in Pride over a Pride week this year, telling her story of transitioning and that she's loved working at Netflix because she's felt so accepted. And she said, I will never work at Netflix again as long as they keep choosing profit over people because that's the whole problem here is like there are employees in netflix saying this is a problem before the special came out there were employees in netflix saying you need to look at this this is gonna cause real damage and ted sarandos who runs netflix was like oh no it's not real people and basically that dave Chappelle makes us too much money and has too many viewers we're not going to take it down we're not going to not release it of course we're going to release it and so he he chose his platform and clout basically over people there was also um a a worker who i'm trying to find their name at the moment please bear with me there was another employee again of course i can't find their name who walked out of work and then was suspended or who refused to work some of those lines and was suspended and then after an outcry from oh here we go um it was tara field and she works in uh software engineering and she posted on twitter and basically was like this is a problem to promote turf ideology and it causes harm to trans to trans people and as retaliation for that thread they suspended her reinstated her later because they got some blowback, but just, but rather than listening to your trans employees issues, they suspended this trans employee, which like Jesus Christ. So now on October 20th, which is coming up this week, Netflix employees across the company are staging a company wide walkout, which was spearheaded and is going to be led by their trans employees um, to bring awareness to this and to protest not only this decision that netflix is like not going to do anything about basically co-signing on this harmful transphobic 
ideology and dialogue, but also to point out the fact that like there's not a whole hell of a lot of positive trans um, content on Netflix. It's pretty much like disclosure and that's about it as far as I can tell. So that's the big story. It, it's gross. I've, it just, I don't know. I have, I have so many feelings about this because it, it I, 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 I have never supported Dave Chappelle and I never will. So that bothers me. The blind allegiance to Dave Chappelle by his fans and followers and people on social media disturbs me. Ted Sarandos's respond to this dis- response to this disturbs me because it is literally he might as well have just said, "I care more about our bottom line than my employees," because that's what it boils down to. Um, and it's just it's perpetuating dangerous myths. And we are in 2021, on track to be one of the deadliest years for trans people in recorded history, and. To still be seeing and hearing shit like this when we've made so much progress in so many other areas is so troubling and so upsetting. And I I don't pay for Netflix <laughs> like probably most or a lot of millennials and younger. I share streaming services, so I don't pay for Netflix. I pay for HBO Max and Paramount Plus and Prime because I pay for Prime anyway. Um, but I share like Netflix and uh, Hulu and some, and maybe that's it. But so I have, I have nothing more that I can do other than like, I'm not paying for Netflix and I'm not supporting Dave Chappelle and I'm speaking out against it. But like, I don't know what else can be done for this. I don't, but, but it, it's real. it's upsetting and I completely understand it and it's gross and And yeah, the, I feel like I, I, I'm kind of speechless because honest to God, I don't know. I know there are people who are going to want action and I wholeheartedly support the walkout on the 20th. I'm not going to watch Netflix um, in a, as a move of solidarity, not that again, really does much. Um, if you would like to cancel your Netflix account, please do. I think that would be, that's obviously going to send a message. And then if they, I don't know if they ask you why you're canceling, if they do say because of Dave Chappelle's The Closer. Um, I don't, I don't know what can be done about this other than to speak out against it and speak truth rather than speaking fear and capitalism. Yeah. Okay. That was a lot. Uh, and that's probably the scariest thing I'm going to talk about this week, even though it is almost Halloween. So I'm talking about uh, two thrillers, a horror series and a psychological thriller. I'm going to be discussing the series premiere of Chucky, the small screen version of the Child's Play films that aired this week on USA and Sci-Fi. And then I'm also going to be talking about the third season of Netflix's. Sorry, I know. And I talked about you before I started talking about this. So, so if you are not supporting Netflix at the moment... Maybe you can find some joy in me recapping you instead of you having to watch it at the moment. But yeah, I'm going to have the third season of you. So uh, stay tuned for that. As we are getting closer to Halloween, so are our television sets being filled with a whole bunch of horror series and reruns of old horror movies and even some new horror movies, one of which I recommended last week. But this week um, was the premiere of a really fun series that I was not anticipating being as good as it actually ended up being. And that is Chucky, which is a TV series adaptation of the Child's Play films. And I think we all know Chucky. If you are of a certain age, I'm going to say like, I don't know, maybe... 37 or 38 and under, maybe even 40 and under, you probably at some point watched one of the child's play movies at a sleepover or in the middle of the night or by accident. And you were probably traumatized just a little bit by at least some of that movie when you were a child. 
the first movie came out in 1988, which is the year that I was born. So I did not see it then, but it was kind of ubiquitous with my childhood in terms of horror films and like Halloween and that kind of thing. Chucky the doll was always around, always in the pantheon of like serial killers, horror movie monsters, that whole thing. Like when you think of the most famous, most popular horror movie killers, you're probably thinking Michael Myers, you're probably thinking Freddy Krueger, Jason from the Friday the 13th movies, um, maybe Ghostface from Scream. And then you're also thinking Chucky, like, because I don't know, I don't know why this film franchise is as popular as it always has been. But here we are in the year 2021, fully 33 years, almost to the day after the release of the original Child's Play movie. And there were three Child's Plays in the original trilogy. Then there was Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky, which were sequels to each other and to the original trilogy. Then apparently there was Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky, which I didn't even know existed until the series premiered this week as well as a 2019 remake of the original Child's Play that like used Alexa kind of technology or like Google Home kind of technology, smart home technology in a doll. And that was voiced by Mark Hamill. I did see that one. It was not good. And now after all of these films, we're getting a TV series that's apparently both a sequel to um, the last two films, uh, Cult of Chucky, and I, I I can't remember any of these. Um, Curse of Chucky, maybe? Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky, I want to say they're called. Anyway, the last two films that most regular folks have never seen because they were, like, direct to uh, video on demand, like, direct to rental, not direct to video because that hasn't really existed in a decade or so, but direct to on demand. So most of us didn't even know they existed, I would say. But I think we all do know Chucky, right? Killer doll, voiced by Brad Dourif. And the, hi, I'm Chucky, wanna play? And the image of the redheaded little demon doll in that rainbow onesie with the jean denim coverall and the butcher knife in the hand, right? (laughs) And then the crazy guttural Brad Dourif scream that came out of him. It was, it was, the original Child's Play was terrifying for especially children. Like the more they went on, the more ridiculous and the more they embraced the comedic elements, which in some cases were okay. I really enjoyed Bride of Chucky, which I think had almost no horror to it. It was mostly comedy. Whereas the original Child's Play and even the first couple of sequels leaned more toward horror than toward comedy, in particular the first movie, the original Child's Play. And Chucky, the TV series, which airs Tuesdays at 10 o'clock on both Sci-Fi and USA, is kind of returning to those roots of being more horror than comedy. And that's something that at the moment, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I've gotten over this hump in the, whoa, that was a stutter, sorry, over this pandemic hump where I was craving like mindless, silly, funny, distracting TV. And I was watching a lot of like reality TV and in particular shows like The Masked Singer and where I was really into like reruns of old seasons of Drag Race and I was leaning into re-watching shows that I used to love as a kid. Like I re-watched a lot of I Love Lucy in 2020 and The Golden Girls and things like that. That I'm now, um, because maybe uh, I'm we're at a point in the pandemic where like things are still happening that are not great, but people are choosing to ignore it. And, you know, it's I'm at the point where I hate people again. <laughs> you know, there was a there was a little bit of time in that pandemic where I think we all realized like our shared humanity and our basic human connection. And we loved people for a while. Like there was every day we're clapping for first responders and we're getting heroes of the day on the news. And we're thanking our Starbucks baristas for risking their lives so that we can have a 
fucking pumpkin spice latte and shit like that. And, you know, we go to the grocery store and these young people are working 12 hour shifts, checking out freaking groceries for us because we're all locked in our houses and all that good stuff where we really saw the best in people for a while. That's over as far as I'm concerned. I'm back to hating people. So I've been looking forward to Halloween this year and I've been reading some horror books and I've been watching some horror movies and some horror TV series and I'm enjoying them more than usual. And Chucky fits right on in there because it does have those comedic elements, but it also is more scary than I thought it was going to be. So now that I've talked for an hour without even mentioning what the TV series is. So Chucky is kind of a soft reboot in a lot of ways of the series. We immediately meet, um, his name is Jake and he's a 14 year old. So whereas the first movie was very focused on Andy when he was a literal child and it was mostly about um, the doll terrorizing him and his mother, we're now, and then, you know, later, the the longer they went on, the older Andy got. He was still a kid in the second one, but then he was like an older teen in the third. And then the rest of the movie, The Bride of Chucky, Seed of Chucky, were totally about the dolls. And like I said, diverged mostly into comedy. But we're now kind of shifting into young adult territory and following Jake at 14, who is in eighth grade, which I find to be a really fascinating age for the show because eighth grade is your last year of middle school. And it's set in New Jersey, which is where I'm from. So it, this follows the same way that I grew up in the same years and schools that I grew up going to. So that may not be the same across the board, but in this case, in this area, middle school ends at eighth grade. Middle school is three years. It's sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And it's a weird transitional period because you really are between childhood, which would be elementary school, which is K through five around here. And Teen, teenage years or adolescence, which is high school, you know, ninth to, through 12th grade, freshman through senior year. So the fact that Jake is an older child in a way, like he is a teenager, but he's not like who we think of as teenagers when you think of like a teen show. You know, we think of 16 to 18 year olds mostly. I mean, go back and like my recommendation last week was uh, there's someone inside your house. Like that's a teen movie. And one of us is lying is a teen show and they're older teens. So we don't really think of 14 year olds as teens because they're kind of, they're not quite children, but they're also not quite who we would assume teens to be. They're not really young adults. They are teens. Like they are true teenagers. They're young, but that doesn't mean they're stupid or they don't know who they are. And in this case, Jake is a, 14-year-old artist. He is into sculpture. He loves to shop for dolls, and then he picks them apart and makes them into weird, creepy art. And he's also gay. And at 14, knows that about himself. So refreshing. This is not a coming out story. Again, I went on about that last week with One of Us is Lying. This is not a coming out story. This is not a story about his sexuality. But his sexuality does play a part in his story. And that is what I'm talking about. Thank you, Chucky and writer Don Mancini, who is himself gay and also wrote the original Child's Play films. Good on you. Thank you, Don. So Jake's sexuality is very much a part of his characterization here because he's bullied for it at school and his dad holds it against him. His dad is very much a man's man. He's a mechanic and is mourning the loss of his wife, Jake's mom, who died in a car accident, um, is a drinker. And kind of just can't figure out how to relate to like his artsy fartsy gay kid. And Jake then at school is also bullied because not only is he gay, but like he plays with dolls. You know, he carries Chucky around after he realizes Chucky is worth so much money. He doesn't want, because of the murders, <laughs> he doesn't want to leave him at home with his alcoholic father who might destroy it as he did his art one night. Um, so he brings it to school with him. And then ask the teacher to keep it in his locker when it doesn't fit in his. So like kids see him carrying around a giant redheaded fucking doll <laughs> to school. So he's made fun of for it. And he's not wealthy. So he's made fun of for being poor. And like he's bullied for his sexuality. But he's also bullied because he's just an outsider. He's an art kid. He does. He lost his mom. He doesn't. Um, he doesn't fit in. And some of it's part of. Some of that is his sexuality. But some of that is also just that like he's different. Um, we don't know about his mother, but um, maybe there's something there. 
that happened with that. He's also the weird, um, he's the weird cousin of the most popular kid in school. So I'm sure that doesn't help that he's just not as popular as his cousin Jordan or Junior is. So we get it's a really interesting dynamic, I think, that we're looking at this from an outsider perspective. And then how would that affect when Chucky comes into his life? So, you know, Chucky doesn't really have a motivation for the most part. He is a serial killer trapped in the body of a doll. <laughs> and he just wants to keep killing people. But in this particular iteration of the mythology of Chucky, he's kind of a helper <laughs> in a way. Like this Chucky is a vicious killer. Make no mistake about it. But also he's kind of on Jake's side. Like at the end of the episode, when he reveals himself to Jake as being alive and having been responsible for the death of Jake's father, spoiler alert, at the end of the first episode, Jake's father dies after having a blow up with Jake and hitting him and saying some really nasty things about, you know, like, why can't you just be normal shit like that? Uh, Chucky kills him by vomiting up some whiskey on his bare feet as he's trying to restart the circuit breaker and electrocuting him, which is like a really ridiculous and absurd kind of comedic murder, but also shows like how creepy Chucky can be. And there's some great old school camera work where like the doll is still in the background and the power flashes and then he moves forward and then he moves forward again when the power flashes back on and like some old school, like, creative puppeteer work, that kind of thing. That's what I always thought was fun about the child's play movies is that they're so creepy because they're, they're puppets, right? Like puppets themselves. I, I find creepy. Um, okay. So Chucky kind of like kills people in this case, or wants to kill people in the series who kind of deserve it. Like there's this other girl that almost gets killed by him named Lexi who is such an asshole to Jake and like starts a GoFundMe to help bring him out of the poor house and like help Jake and Jake and Chucky. And there's a picture of him holding the doll. And like, she's, she's such a white privilege bitch. Like she is the embodiment of white privilege being like, well, you can do whatever you want to me, but my mom is friends with the principal. So she'll just call and get me out of trouble. And just an asshole. Can't wait for her inevitable death scene. Looking forward to it. Um, Andy makes an appearance, the original kid, via a phone call where he sees Jake trying to sell this doll for online for a large sum of money and then warns Jake. Um, and then apparently there are going to be some other ties to these past couple of movies, which again, I have not seen. And also I don't feel like seeking out, so I probably won't see them. So I'm kind of hoping that like Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky, these can kind of stand on their own a little bit. Jennifer Tilly is also going to be making an appearance based on uh, the previews for the season. It's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Like I said, there are some creepy moments. There are some funny moments. And it's really freaking relatable. Like, especially for me as a gay person who lives in New Jersey, <laughs> I grew up as a kind of Jake. I did theater. He does art. I was open before I was comfortable being open in a lot of cases. So is Jake. I, I went through a lot of the same shit as him. I get him. That's fun for me. And, you know, there were a lot of people that I went to school with that I would have liked for a possessed doll to have offed for me if they could have. <laughs> so I think that that is very relatable. It's, it's being advertised as a coming of rage story, which I think is just brilliant. Um, it is a coming of age story, but it's also a horror story. It's also about a wrathful killer doll. So I don't know. I'm really looking forward to the season. Like so far I am fully in for Chucky. I, I hope, like I said, it doesn't get too confusing with um, who is, with how it's tying into the films that I haven't seen, but We'll see. If it does get confusing, then I guess I'm going to have to try to seek out Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky. So, I don't know. But for now, if you want to catch up, and I recommend that you do, the first episode you can find on Sci-Fi and USA On Demand. It's not streaming anywhere unless you have Hulu Plus Live, in which case you can find it there. Or if you have, you know, I think like Fubo and Philo, it's on those as well. And then... 
I'm curious where this is going to go. I think there's eight episodes this season, so it's got some room to breathe and some room to play and some room to be fun, but it also does have some room to bloat a little bit. So I'm curious which of those paths it's going to follow, but based on the first episode, I'm very optimistic. Now, I don't mean to be that person, but I'm also going to be that person who's like, I was into this before it was cool, but I was. So I have been watching You, which is currently on Netflix, but began on Lifetime. (laughs) I have been watching You since episode one aired live. You remember like live TV? I'm sure we all remember this. It was like when you had a television and there was a cable box attached to it. And like you would have to switch to a, a channel and be in front of your TV at a certain time. And you had to sit down and watch it. And there were commercials. Ugh. So glad we barely do that anymore. (laughs) But I watched you live as it was airing the premiere because I um, was interested in Penn Badgley because I used to watch and love Gossip Girl. Don't judge me. And the whole premise of like a serial killer um, TV drama was very interesting to me as a horror fan. So I watched it live and I was immediately obsessed That night, I put a hold on the book at the library and went out the next day to check it out because I needed to know what happened immediately. And I loved that first season, loved the book, read the second book right away as well. And the show did relatively well for Lifetime, but somewhere around the time that it had wrapped up its first season, Lifetime announced that it was no longer going to be airing dramas like it was no longer going to be making tv series they were going to focus on made for tv movies and reality only and even the reality part of that they don't really do anymore either so they were going to focus on making you know those shitty rip from the headlines movies that you see all the time of like you know the 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 what's the one they just did about the u.s gymnastics team or whatever that they're they're making these shitty, uncomfortable movies where they're like exploiting people's life stories and making them unauthorized. But regardless, that left you in a very strange place because it was very well received and had done pretty well. But then Lifetime was like, but we're just not doing this anymore. So it had been picked up for streaming on Netflix and much like Manifest this past season did very well for them. So Netflix ordered a second season and now it's a Netflix original and it's a huge one. So I'm sure that you've at least heard of it, if not watched it. And you really do need to watch it if you have not, because it's so much fun. And the basic premise of the first season was, you know, a, a loner kind of geeky dude who works at a bookstore would was following around this girl that he was obsessed with and, stalking her for all intents and purposes and was also a cold-blooded murderer but um kind of justified his killings of people and the way that the show was written and made we could we sympathized with him you know it's very breaking bad in that way where it's like you're it's an anti-hero and you're rooting for the villain i mean this one goes a little bit further than breaking bad or the sopranos or any of the other anti-hero shows do and that we are literally like rooting for the psychopath serial killer to kill people because we understand where he's coming from. He's like critiquing society as he's killing people. Like I'll never forget in the first season, I was, so, I literally screamed at my TV, just kill him already for a character who was kidnapped by Joe and locked in a cage. And when Joe came to feed him, to, like, give him food, the man said, I can't eat this. I'm a vegan. And, like, you're trapped in a cage, kidnapped by a murderer. And rather than eating the food, like, your survival instinct hasn't kicked in. And you throw the food away because it's not part of your diet when you're being held captive by a murderer. And that's both really funny. And then as soon as I said that, it it was such a harsh critique of that entire subset of people, right? Of like, we've all been in this situation where we've been out to dinner or on social media or watching TV or whatever. And we see that person who is so narcissistic and entrenched in their own 
shit that no one and nothing else matters to them. Like, it is such a childish, I want it and I want it now way of existing. Of like, I don't know, let's say we're at a restaurant and like you're with someone and maybe you don't know them well, maybe they're a friend, whatever it is, but you have that moment where like they order something that just pisses you off. Like they don't order off the menu or they order something on the menu and change every aspect of it. Like, um, can I have this salad, but I'm dairy free, so no cheese. And what dressing does that come with? Do you have anything that's sugar free and fat free? Well, I maybe I won't have that salad because I also can't have the chicken because I'm vegan. And like they just change everything on the menu as if like that is what this person who's taking the order exists for is to serve them, right? So to watch that happen, it was such a brilliantly cathartic critique of social narcissism. And that's really what the show is and has become even more so in the second and now in its third season, which just released on Netflix this past weekend on October 15th, is it is a social satire. The first season was very much a satire of the literary, narcissistic, upper crust, social media obsessed world of New York City. The second season was a critique of the vapid, narcissistic, social media obsessed uh, Los Angeles. And, you know, the first season was also like a critique of, I don't know, like putting your entire life on display for strangers. The second season built on that with like a like critiquing um, privilege and wealth and that kind of thing. And now the third season, again, is following very much in that, in not only critiquing social media, which it's still doing very well, but um, also adding on this, like, um, I keep saying the word critique, but like this commentary on uh, mommy blogging and parenting and like suburban ennui of like the boredom that comes with having a perfect life of having money and having an ideal family and all that. It's also commenting on that phenomenon, which I think we've all seen even more of during the pandemic where, you know, people love to put on a show of how great their lives are. And, you know, like there are some people like celebrities and stuff that I didn't, that like I'll look up on social, not even on social media, like on Google and I'll get, linked to their Instagrams and I'll look at it and be like, wow, this person's an asshole. Like they never really locked down during lockdown. And then you'll look at it and be like, oh no, this was just them pretending that their lives were great during lockdown. This is just their backyard. You know, like it's people who were, who cannot give up the illusion that their lives are perfect. That like, even when the entire globe is going through this like once in a lifetime event like the pandemic where we all need to be like locked in our houses and not seeing people and hunkered down and all this shit that like they're still posting these pictures with their families, their boyfriends, their bubbles, whatever, of wanting to seem like nothing is wrong. When there is a pandemic that has killed hundreds of thousands of people around the world raging. And that is just... To see this season that playing out is, first of all, hugely entertaining. There is, I've watched most of the first season at this point. Um, there is an amazing commentary, not like amazing in that it's brilliant, but amazing in that it just felt so good to see. At the end of episode three, or in episode three, there's a whole comment on anti-vaxxers where um, Joe and Love have a baby and their baby gets measles because someone in their perfect white upper crust, you know, circle didn't get their kids vaccinated. And, you know, she, ha Love, has a moment where she takes matters into her own hands when it comes to anti-vaxxers. And that was so satisfying to watch after this past, especially the past six to eight months, of seeing people during COVID and their anti-vax bullshit. So it really does a great job of making us not only sympathize with the devil in a lot of ways, but also root for them. And like, it's very much a fantasy. 
And in the same way that we're like inside Joe's thoughts as he's like committing these crimes and stalking people and all that, that while we're in his thoughts and like as ridiculous and absurd and dangerous and psychotic, we know his thoughts are and that what he is doing is wrong. We also kind of love to live through him. Right. And that's, uh, that's what this show does best. So, you know, like we left at the end of season two with Joe finding his match in love, who was like his psychotic soulmate, that they are very much each other's equals in a lot of ways. And that immediately gets turned on its head. The whole premise of the show kind of gets turned on its head at the end of the first episode. It's a little predictable, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's not, you isn't the most, I don't know, the most challenging show. It's not always like reinventing the wheel. You know, like, as you probably gathered from my descriptions a few minutes ago of what the show is and commenting on that it's still commenting on a lot of the same shit, you know, like it's not really evolving a whole lot. And that can sometimes be to its own detriment, but also like, it's just so freaking entertaining. So like, do we really need it to reinvent the wheel or it's Halloween and I want to watch a show about people getting murdered. (laughs) And I want to feel like those murders are justified because, you know, as we're all sitting around listening to Gabby Petito on the news and the whole thing that's happening with her, that's nothing that could have happened would justify that murder. Right. But then in the world of you, we get to be inside of Joe and love's heads and we can kind of understand why they want to kill people because we all feel that way. Love's and Joe's therapist says it at one point early in the season where she's like, all of my clients want to kill their spouses. They all feel like they're going to kill their spouses at some point, but they don't actually do it. It's just a fleeting thought. And that's all of us, right? That is all of us. We have these moments where it's like, I could fucking kill that person, no matter what it is. Maybe it's your husband or your wife. Maybe the person you live with just pisses you off one day and you just yell, I'm going to fucking kill you. We don't mean that. But in that moment, maybe we do feel it. (laughs) If someone cuts us off in traffic, like, maybe we think, like, I hope you get into an accident, you fucking asshole. Like, you know, in the moment, we all have these thoughts, these feelings, but we don't act on them, right? Joe and love are our outlets because they act on them. They act on our basest, most dark our darkest basest impulses. We don't act on them because we know that it's not acceptable. They do because they're in a fictional world, right? (laughs) And the acting is as good as always. Penn Badgley is his usual creepy, winking, smiling self. Victoria Pedretti is amazing. She was so good on the Haunting series and now she's on this and gets to show some beautiful new layers. She's great. The supporting cast, Brian Safi from 911, who also hosts one of my favorite podcasts, Attitudes, formerly known as Throwing Shade. Um, he is hysterical. There's a great mid-season episode where all the husbands like go into the woods together, camping and hunting. I was a little disappointed it didn't turn into an orgy, but that's just because that's where my mind went. <laughs> but there it's just it's so entertaining so even when the show is like not exactly the most interesting because we kind of can guess what's going to happen you know there's a great twist at the end of episode one that kind of um shifts the focus of the season but then you know even from there it's like oh, okay so now we can kind of see where the rest of the season is going to go so even when it's not season three isn't the most surprising so far like i said i'm not finished yet but i am you know, I, I'm slowly building my way up there. It is very watchable. It's very bingeable. It's very fun. It's so entertaining. And like right now, that's what we need, right? We need shows to be entertaining. I don't always turn on the TV because I want to be challenged. And I don't always turn on the TV because I want something completely brainless. You is like definitely in the in-between. You know, it is it's not the most cultured. It's not the, it's not the deepest show, but it's also not like the real housewives, you know, or drag race. Like I don't turn it on because I need pure entertainment and I don't turn it on because I, I want to 
you know, I want a mirror held up to the world's biggest issues. It's very much in that in-between space where it does hold up a mirror to the issues of society, but it's doing it in a very fun, tongue-in-cheek, funny, entertaining way. So that's why I love you. And that's why I'm really loving season three so far. Um, if I get to the end and need to talk about it more, maybe I'll come back next week or something like that. But for now, the, the third season is streaming on Netflix. If you have not watched season one and two, which I don't, I, I feel like everyone I know has watched season one and two, but if you are one of the few who has not, I highly recommend seasons one and two. Season one, especially, I think is chef's kiss. Wonderful. Um, I also recommend the books. The third book came out in between season two and three, and the show does not follow season three. There are some like similar characters and situations, but um, I didn't like the third book all that much from what I remember. I already forgot most of what happened in it. <laughs> and, but yeah, the books are great too. The internal monologue that we get from Joe is um, a little bit more insufferable in the books because, you know, we're obviously in his head. But, um, but I, I recommend those as well. They're just, they're fun. They're a lot of fun. And it already got renewed for season four. And I believe Carolyn Kepnes, who wrote the books, is already working on a fourth book as well. So it, it's a perfect Halloween binge because of the killing aspect. It's, it's just, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. And I recommend it. Things are starting to cool down a little bit in terms of premieres and finales. On Monday, the only new shows are the returns of Hoarders and Intervention to A&E. On Tuesday, ABC has the 18th season of The Bachelorette and the series premiere of Queens, which I am mildly curious about. It's a musical drama starring Brandy and Eve about a former uh, singing group getting back together. And then the fourth season of Dragula premieres on Shudder. On Wednesday, we're getting the premiere of Winter House on Bravo, which is obviously a winter version of their series Summer House, but it also has two of the cast members of Southern Charm, Austin and Craig are joining the house. Um, I never watched Summer House, but I, I, Austin and Craig are my two favorites on Southern Charm, so I might end up watching that one. On Thursday, Hulu is premiering a documentary series um, that's kind of about like climate change and how what you eat affects the environment called The Next Thing You Eat. Peacock is releasing the special Snoop and Martha's Very Tasty Halloween <laughs> and also the entire series The Girl in the Woods, which was directed by Kristen Ritter. And that's about a girl who, like, finds a door to a, another universe. And also on Thursday is the ninth season premiere on NBC of The Blacklist. On Friday, Apple TV has the series premiere of Invasion, which is an alien invasion series starring Sam Neill from Jurassic Park. And also the second season premiere of Truth Be Told, which stars Octavia Spencer. That was on, uh, it was on last year, the year before. It's based on a book by Kathleen Barber. Netflix releases the second season of Lock and Key and also has the new comedy Inside Job premiering. And what I am most looking forward to is the kickoff to Hallmark Channel's Countdown to Christmas, which begins on Friday with the first original Christmas movie of the year starring Dana McKellar and Jason Hervey reuniting from the Wonder Years. And it's called You, Me, and the Christmas Trees. And I cannot wait for that. So the way they're running it this year is there are going to be new premieres every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on Hallmark Channel at 8 o'clock. And then there's also going to be a premiere every Saturday at 10 o'clock on Hallmark Movies and Mysteries. So the Friday premiere is You, Me, and the Christmas Trees. Then on Saturday, the first Hallmark Movies and Mysteries is something with Luke McFarland, Christmas in My Heart, or something like that. And he plays like a cellist or music teacher or some shit. Who actually knows or cares? It's Luke McFarland and it's Hallmark Christmas. <laughs> I'm so excited for that to happen, even though it is a little too early this year. I will give them that. On Sunday, also the premieres of the final season of Insecure on HBO and the return of Curb Your Enthusiasm. For finales, 
Hulu wraps up the first season of Only Murders in the Building on Tuesday. The 10th season of American Horror Story ends on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, the finales of the third season of Titans on HBO Max, One of Us is Lying on Peacock, and Coroner on The CW. So since I talked a lot this week about nostalgia and horror and that kind of thing, um, my recommendation is my favorite show of all time, which I just realized is now streaming on Hulu. And it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I sincerely hope that everyone listening to this podcast has seen Buffy. And if you have not, for shame, how are we friends? <laughs> I, uh, I don't even really know how to underscore how important this show was to me as a preteen and a teenager. I watched it from the very beginning because as a kid, I was obsessed with the movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer starring um, formerly one of my favorite actresses and now persona non grata in my life because she's a conservative asshole, Christy Swanson and my teenage love, my childhood love, Luke Perry, who along with Jason Priestley were my sexual awakening when I was young. (laughs) Oh, I loved that movie. It was not very good and I don't care. I still know almost the entire thing by heart. I loved it. So when the series started in 1997, I, as a child, was in front of my TV watching it. And I didn't watch it every week when I was a kid, but I did eventually catch back on probably around the end of season three and then watched it every week religiously until it ended in 2003 when I was in high school. It was the kind of show where like, If your friends tried to get in touch with you during it, you were not friends with them the next day (laughs) because how dare they not know you well enough to know that you were watching Buffy. And it just, everything about it spoke to me on such a deep personal and spiritual, psychological, philosophical level. I, I just, I... I could do a five hour podcast on how every character on Buffy was in some way the story of my life or how half of the storylines that Buffy faced were in some way the story of my life. But like the very real implications of the show of like a a person facing their demons in high school that are like manifested literally as demons was kind of profound, I think, for me to see someone like going through personal issues and then confronting them as literal things, I think was really powerful to see characters questioning their sexuality, to see characters questioning their mortality, to see an illicit love affair like Buffy and angels in the first couple seasons realized in the most terrifyingly awful way seemed very metaphorical to what I was experiencing as a young teen, discovering my own sexuality. And it was just so well fucking done. It was so well written. It was so witty. It was so funny. It was so captivating. It was so well acted and well written and well directed. And just everything about it is just, it's so incredible. And the fact that it's been off the air for over 15 years and that this past year, it, turned 20 or next year it will turn 25 is just mind-blowing and the fact that it holds up as well as it does after all these years is just incredible and the whole series is available for you to watch on hulu so if you have not ever watched buffy one how fucking dare you (laughs) two it's okay i have you covered so if you've never watched buffy but are interested in kind of like hitting the highlights Here is a list of episodes that I think are both great to introduce you to the world of the series and also are some of the best episodes the series has ever produced. So here is your watch list. First of all, you have to start at the beginning, episodes one and two. It's a two-part episode, Welcome to the Hellmouth and The Harvest. Not the best episodes of the whole series, but you need to watch them because it will set the groundwork. So Welcome to the Hellmouth, season one, episode one. The Harvest, season one, episode two. Then I think if you're just trying to like get the groundwork of why this show is great, you can move on then to season two, episode six, Halloween, which is a really fun episode where everyone turns into whatever their Halloween costumes are. Then 
you're going, I think, should move on to the part, the two-part episodes, Surprise and Innocence, which are the culmination of the Buffy-Angel relationship and also the beginning of the best story arc that Buffy ever did with Angel, who is a vampire with a soul, losing his soul because the gypsy curse that was placed on him says that he will retain his soul until he experiences a moment of pure happiness. And he experiences that with Buffy when she loses her virginity to him on her birthday. And then he becomes evil and jealous again. So you have to watch those episodes. They're so fucking good. Then I would say for a great standalone episode in season two, watch I Only Have Eyes For You. Um, which is a story about um, two ghosts haunting Sunnydale High who possess lovers and couples and wonderful. Then if you are really into the Buffy Angel relationship, watch Becoming One and Two, which is the season finale part, season finale, two part season finale of season two. Um, you can skip over then if you're just looking for some great standalone episodes and move on to season three with a great standalone episode called The Wish. Then for standalone episodes of just kind of getting the gist, move on to season four and watch Hush, which is widely regarded as one of the three best episodes of all time of the series, depending on who you are, depends on where you place it. I place it as number one. Um, a lot of other people place it as number two or three. But that's the episode where everyone loses their voice and it's basically a silent film. It's wonderful. Then move on to the season five premiere, Buffy versus Dracula, which is again, just a really silly, fun episode. Also it's Dracula. Also it introduces the whole storyline of season five, which is Buffy discovering she has a sister. And then that picks up and continues with the through line of the season six episode, which is the final standalone that you have to watch and recommending once more with feeling, which is the musical episode. So if you're just looking for some highlights, that's your list. Welcome to the Hellmouth, The Harvest, Halloween, Surprise, Innocence, I Only Have Eyes for You, The Wish, Hush, Buffy vs. Dracula, Once More with Feeling. If you're going in for a rewatch, here are the highlights. So all of those episodes, plus Prophecy Girl, the season one finale, which was the first, like, I think really great episode of Buffy. Then also Passion, which is one of my all-time favorite episodes of the series, which is where uh, Angelus kills Miss Calendar. And that fucking amazing poem that I swear I wanted to get in high school, like tattooed across my entire body. Passion, it lies within all of us. God, it's so good. Uh, Becoming One and Two, the season two finale. Band Candy, which again, just a really freaking fun episode. Where That's the one where everyone eats the candy and then they turn into children or like the adults turn into their teenage selves. So much fun. Graduation Day Parts 1 and 2, Restless, the season 4 finale, which if you do not, if you have not watched Buffy up till that point, will make zero sense and you will be lost, which is why I only recommend, it's a great episode, but I only recommend it if you have watched the whole, the whole series already. Then on top of Buffy vs. Dracula, The Body, which again, top three of all time, so good. The Gift, top five of all time, the season 5 finale where Buffy dies, fucking amazing. Um, once worth feeling again. And then also in season six, seeing red, which was the beginning of the dark willow storyline. And then in season seven conversations with dead people, which kind of moves, um, which kind of grows out of that seeing red episode. And then of course the series finale chosen. So obviously everyone should watch every single episode of Buffy, but if you haven't, and are just looking for a few episodes for some highlights, there are some recommendations for you. Okay, but also, like I said, the whole series is streaming on Hulu. So, like, watch it so that way we can, like, actually truly connect and be friends and understand each other on a deep level. Um, and another reason I'm recommending Buffy right now is that it's kind of seeing a resurgence in the next few months. So, like I said, the 25th anniversary is in March of when it premiered. So there's a book coming out by Evan Ross Katz, who's very popular on gay Instagram <laughs> and who writes for Entertainment Weekly. And it's called Into Every Generation, and it's an oral history of Buffy. That's coming out in March. And then in January, they're rebooting the Buffy storyline with a new young adult series, um, which is also called In Every Generation or Every Generation, something along those lines. It's by Kendara Blake. And it's kind of, it serves as a sequel to the Buffy verse where it's following Willow's children. Um, 
And I'm looking forward to reading both of those things. So since again, Buffy's coming up on like a retrospective big anniversary year next year, we're going to be seeing a lot more of Buffy. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get some more announcements of things like a reboot TV series, which I feel like we get an announcement for like every other year or so, and it never materializes. Um, you know, maybe we'll see something concrete happening soon. Although Joss Whedon was canceled this year. So maybe not. I don't know. But oh God, Buffy. It's almost Halloween. So like, go watch Buffy. <laughs> anyway, thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Fake TV Critic. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. And I'll be back next week with more recaps, more news, more analyses, and more recommendations. Have a good week, everyone. <laughs>